This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide, with your host, John Thomas. And welcome to The Thomas Guide. I am John Thomas, your host. Uh, welcome to episode three of The Thomas Guide. You can see our set is evolving. Uh, it's getting slicker and slicker to the week. I want to thank all of our production team, producer Helene, uh, our VJ, DJ, Roy G, and of course, Tony, our engineer. You guys are doing great work. We've got a big show, several guests, but I want to get right into it. My opening monologue is very simple. I noticed last Wednesday that there was a profound shift that Donald Trump saved the Republican Party with one tweet. And that's when he tweeted and got in a Twitter war with the union boss for Carrier. And, uh, and he... I'll read you what he said. Uh, he had a string of two tweets saying Chuck Jones, who's the president of the Steelworkers, uh, has done a terrible job representing workers. No wonder companies fl are fleeing the country. Uh, and then an hour later, he wrote, if United Steelworkers 1999 was any good, they would have kept those jobs in Indiana. Um, here's what's so fascinating about that, that Trump in one tweet took the Republican Party that was and has since um, not since Ronald Reagan was president has been thought to be the president or, or the party for the one percent for Wall Street. Um, we put up candidates like Mitt Romney, who you know is a management consultant, who that's a fancy way of saying he basically comes in, retools companies and kills jobs. Trump now has basically become a fighter for the working man and shifted the narrative of what the Republican Party stands for and stolen it from the Demo Democratic Party. Now, granted, the Democratic Party has exposed a weakness because they've moved so far to the left on issues of the environment that they've become anti-worker. But the Republicans couldn't put together a candidate at the top of the ticket to exploit that dynamic. And Trump, with that one tweet, when I saw it, I thought, wow. The Republican Party is now the party of the working man. It is unbelievable. And Trump did more with that one tweet than any Republicans been able to do since Ronald Reagan. It's a major shift. And look, we hear the carrier deal, obviously a thousand jobs is more symbolic uh, than actually turning around the, the country. But these optics are winning. Uh, I think it was U.S. Steel said that they would contemplate bringing back 10,000 jobs uh, because of Trump and just. Two days ago, uh, IBM said that they'd bring potentially 25,000 jobs back to the United States because of Trump. Um, he's off to the right track, and what people consider his liability, which is potentially his Twitter feed, I think is, is allowing Trump to uh, become an advocate and a bully. I will say voters like bullies if they're a bully for you. If they don't like schoolyard bullies. They like bullies on their side. And right now, for the American worker, Trump is a bully for them. Um, all right. Uh, before I get, get into some of the big stories of the week, of course, our show, The Thomas Guide, you can find us every Thursday from 1 to 2 p.m. 
Uh, you can go to theteaguide.com to subscribe to the podcast. Or if you want to watch us, you can go to facebook.com uh, slash the Thomas Guide. You can check us out on KFI's Facebook page. Or uh, during the show, please tweet us. You can tweet me at the Thomas Guide. That's at the Thomas Guide. We'll get to your tweets and your comments via Facebook Live during the show. This is a show simply where politics politics meets culture. Uh, I'm a political strategist by trade, and of course I'm going to get into nitty-gritty because I run campaigns at the highest levels. But if the Trump and Kanye West story isn't a good enough example of where pop culture continues to intersect with politics, I don't know what is. Um, I want to move to, before we get to our, we've got a couple exciting guests coming in, a, a, a cybersecurity hacking expert, the best in the country is going to call into the show. And then, of course, a good friend of our show, uh, John Phillips. He's a talk radio host over at KBC, but also he was one of the leading uh, voices that were pro-Trump on CNN. And I want to talk about that because I think CNN's completely off our rocker. And that leads me into the big story. The big story is the liberals and the left, particularly the media, are going apoplectic over the fact that Donald Trump might actually be the next president of the United States. You saw him with uh, Jill Stein saying, we demand recounts. Whoops. I think in Wisconsin, he gained 110 votes after the Wisconsin, uh, the, the recount happened. Uh, that's going nowhere, but they're trying to stop him there. Um, now the latest is hacking, and we'll get into that in a second. And if that actually happened, where to go from here, where our vulnerabilities are. But they're using that the election was hacked, that perhaps the election wasn't legitimately won by Donald Trump. Um, and now it is uh, the liberals are saying that that the uh, the Electoral College has a duty to vote against Trump and break rank and, and keep him from being president of the United States. So we've got a couple audio clips I, I'd like to. Or the, or, the, or the man that you want to be the president of the United States, you lost. Get over it. Retool for the midterms. Retool for, for uh, 2020. It's unbelievable that they can't accept it. I just don't recall in 2008 or 2012 when Republicans were depressed. No doubt about it. They didn't say that Donald Trump, uh, that uh, Barack Obama couldn't be the president to stop the electors, to demand a recount. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Um, 
and their ratings are suffering because of it. We're going to get into it with John Phillips, but uh, the main networks that were anti-Trump are getting killed in the ratings. Now, granted, in full disclosure, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, the big ones were all doing very well, record highs for all of them going into Election Day. After Election Day, the only one that's been doing well is Fox News Channel. And let me go through a couple of these ratings just from this week. Okay, total viewers for Fox News Channel uh, uh, during during the, the day and prime time are almost 4 million for, for Fox News that rotate throughout the network. Total viewers for CNN throughout the day, this was actually taken on Tuesday of this week, is 1.3 million, okay? That's like almost, uh, well, it's less, it's less than a third of what Fox News is pulling in. MSNBC is beating CNN uh, by about a million total viewers. Now, here's what's fascinating. I could see the argument, and I was curious about this myself, going, all right, the only reason Fox News is holding strong is because old people are reliable TV watchers. They watch Republican, uh, you know, Fox News before the election. They watched it. They're going to continue to watch after. And CNN was surging in what we call the key demo, which is younger viewers. That was true. They were winning with that key demo before the election. But here's the interesting thing. The key demo is still watching, but they shifted to Fox News. Fox News is beating the pants off of CNN in the key demo. For instance, uh, average prime time for Fox News in the key demo is about 900,000 to a million viewers. That's young people, basically. Average, and wait for it. This is unbelievable. The average key demo, young viewers, that are watching CNN in the prime time and total day, it's about 320,000. Okay, 320,000 to Fox News' million. And MSNBC's around the same. Headline news, like 100,000 people are watching. But, but I think the best way to explain it is People, CNN, for the large part, and mainstream media, is all about stopping Trump, how crazy Trump is. And I just think they're out of touch with what Americans want right now. Uh, They want to move forward. They want to talk about what Trump's going to do. They want to talk about the economic future for America. And I just think these other stations are suffering uh, because of it. All right, moving along. Uh, The latest trick to delegitimize and stop Trump is the uh, getting the Electoral College to change their votes, and vote against Trump. That's not going to work, first of all, but that's what they're trying. Joey Behart made the argument for it. Um, And Tina Fey made an argument during a speech earlier this week uh, saying if only more celebrities had had backed Hillary Clinton and made the case, maybe that would have saved Hillary. It didn't save Hillary before, and it's not going to save them with the electoral, this latest electoral college done. I'll explain why. Let's roll the Tina Fey clip. Not enough celebrity music videos urging people to vote. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be that person, guys. I just think there have been like one more funny rap or like another Hamilton parody or something. Just like a little more hustle from Liz Banks, and we could have taken it. Again. Yeah. All right. That's that's enough of that clip. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 funny, but it's not. Uh, the interesting thing is the lack of influence that celebrities have in terms of people's votes was staggering. I there, I think it was must have been 100 to 1. 
in terms of celebrities for Hillary versus for Trump. Um, let's go into this is the latest celebrities are banding together for their final push on the Electoral College. They put out this PSA. Uh, it's literally a PSA begging the Electoral College to break away from Trump. And they are some of the, the biggest names and, and notably uh, most of the cast of the West Wing is making this argument. Let's go ahead and, and roll. Republican of members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is to an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. An eminent degree. Someone who is highly qualified for the job. The Electoral College was created specifically to prevent an unfit candidate from becoming president. There are 538 members of the Electoral College. You and just 36 other conscientious Republican electors can make a difference. <laughs> by voting your conscience on December 19th. And thereby shaping the future of our nation. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. As you know, the Constitution gives electors the right to vote for any eligible <laughs> I'm just telling you to vote. Yeah, let's, person, let's can no the clip. No matter which party uh, they belong to. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, let's, let's can the quote. Yeah, it goes on for two minutes or something. But, I mean, it's this long YouTube video where President Bartlett himself from the West Wing is, is making the argument. It's not that you're, you know, voting for Hillary Clinton. It's okay. You just, you have to stop a demagogue and you have to stop him. And it's your duty. Bullshit. It's not going to work. And the fact, it makes me laugh because these celebrities think they have influence and they don't. They have a microphone and they have a platform, but they don't have influence. And there's a difference. Uh, there was a poll in, in Ga the Gallup uh, polling, a prestigious polling firm put out this week that I think was very instructive about what Americans want to do about the Electoral College. This is fascinating to me. Okay, just this week. Back in 2004, the Gallup's been polling uh, every year. Uh, back in 2004, 35% of Americans uh, wanted to keep the Electoral College. Only 35%. Uh, with about 15% um, undecided and the, and the rest wanting to go to the popular vote. Now... Uh, now the number is at 47%. That's 12 points higher in 2016 as of this week uh, that want to keep the Electoral College. So to put that in perspective, almost half of Americans want to keep the Electoral College. About 10, 15% are undecided and the, and the rest want to go to the popular vote. So it's, uh, it's, it's evenly split, but defense of the Electoral College is higher than it's ever been before. So if you thought you can repeal the Electoral College or switch strictly to a popular vote now, it ain't going to happen. It would have happened before when we were in the 30s. Uh, support for the Electoral College is solid enough that no matter how much liberals bitch and moan, they simply aren't going to have the will to repeal the Electoral College. It's not going to happen. America's not there. Good luck, President Bartlett. It's not going to happen. Um, all right. Uh, Moving into our next topic, we couldn't talk about uh, politics without talking about the Russians, without talking about hacking. Um, 
you know, it's it's fascinating. There's been so much development and liberals are using the uh, in effort to, I'd say, delegitimize. I think most honest Democrats know they can't stop Trump from being the president, but they think that they can undermine him. And they're by they're saying that the election was hacked uh, and or actually it wasn't the election was hacked. It was that the hacking during the election period, uh, the WikiLeaks, et cetera, led to so much, um, so many stories about Hillary Clinton that Putin wanted out there. That's why Donald Trump won and Hillary Clinton lost. It's not because Hillary Clinton made a mistake and pulled all of her ads from Wisconsin eight weeks out. It's not because she never articulated an economic agenda that resonated with the Rust Belt or that Trump was making seven, eight campaign stops a day and strictly was the jobs candidate toward the end. No, no, no. I'm sure it's not that. It was Putin's agenda. Nonetheless, this is something I want to talk about because I think there's a lot of information, misinformation out there about how the information was leaked uh, uh, coming from the DNC. Um, and, and there are conflicting reports. We're hearing from our federal intelligence agencies that it was Russia uh, that hacked the DNC. But just this week, the Daily Mail, uh, respectable outlet, had an exclusive report where they said that a former British ambassador to Uzbekistan named Craig Murray and an associate of Julian Assange said that uh, that the leaks were handed to him, that there was no hack. He And, and the way he Craig explains it, the former ambassador explains it, he flew to Washington, D.C., for the emails, he claims that there was a, a house of cards like handoff, a clandestine handoff handoff in a wooded area near American University with one of the email sources. And he says the leaker's motivation was, quote, disgust at the corruption of the Clinton Foundation and the, quote, tilting of the primary election playing field against Bernie Sanders. Craig Murray says the source, the leaker, had legal access to the information. The documents came from inside leaks, not hacks. I mean, that completely screws over the CIA and what Democrats are saying, that it was Putin and he hacked it. Um, There's a lot of conflicting information out there. I don't know if we're going to get to the bottom right away of Was it a hack? Was it a leak? I'm not sure. But what we do know is that hacking our government is a problem. It's something that's been going on. There was a White House hack back in April. Computers apparently went down. And our our government infrastructure, like computer system, is very vulnerable. Eileen, do we have our our caller on the line? We do. Oh, perfect. Uh, I want to introduce uh, Chuck. If I butcher your last name, I apologize. Is it Sedlicek? Yes, it is. Okay, Chuck Sedlicek with uh, Virtuous a Company. You can find him uh, on his website at americantechit.com or on Twitter at americantechit. Uh, Chuck, you are a cybersecurity expert. You've got what I think is the most cutting-edge um and novel, quite frankly, uh, firewall system, I guess, is the best way I could dumb it down to protect computer systems in the federal government. But before I want to hear about that. But before we get into that, uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, My pleasure. Before we get into that, I want to talk about 
tell me, are we, uh, are we worked up to, uh, to a, a, too much of an extent about how vulnerable our, our government's security systems are, computer systems are, or is this something we should be concerned about? And if so, how deep really is the problem? Well, it, it should be a huge concern. Um, I mean, what we're seeing in the news today is just massive organizations that are getting hacked left and right. You've got, you know, governments, you've got huge commercial entities that have almost limitless resources, huge budgets, um, and access to the best solutions in the market, and they're still getting hacked. So, you know, if we keep going the way we're going, I don't see the problem going away. And, you know, what we have found is, you know, we, we know that the cybersecurity industry has misdefined the problem. It's, it's not actually the hackers and the malware. We're working with an open internet. We're working with a computer architecture that's over 50 years old. And that's where the problem lies. You know, I try to tell people the computer, think of it as a cell in the human body. You've got these viruses that attack your cells. And we're trying to identify these viruses. As soon as we identify them, these viruses morph into something new. Next thing you know, we have to keep creating new vaccinations. That's exactly what these antivirus solutions do. So instead of trying to identify the threats, if we were to simply wrap a, a shield or a container around that cell, say in the human body, there would be no need to identify those threats. And the way that we should be doing this in, on, you know, in the computer is we should be serving up all of the processes that occur in these computers in a secure manner to where we don't have to identify these threats in order to stop them. I, I see. I so, mean, yeah, yeah. So you're saying irrespective of who's hacking, you just protect the system and then you're safe from any hacker. It, do, it doesn't matter, right, who the hacker is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's really important the, the way that you handle those processes that are occurring. Right. Um, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. Um, you know, we, another problem is that we have insecure applications. None of these applications we use, like I'm sure everyone is constantly updating Adobe Acrobat Reader, Java. We're getting security updates for our operating system. These, these developers don't, you know, put cybersecurity as a priority in their applications. That's another thing that needs to happen. The cybersecurity needs to be built into the applications mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, so that poses a huge problem. Is uh, is the government's uh, like operating system that runs in the Department of Defense and the IRS and and whatnot? Are they the most latest and up to date operating systems, or are we running on old technology to begin with? It's all the above. Hmm. You've got you know standalone systems that are custom operating systems. You've got old operating systems that the cybersecurity industry doesn't want to support anymore, but the government's saying, well, these systems are running fine, but we have to secure them. You know, we don't want to replace the whole thing. And, and it's a big snowball effect. So if you were to upgrade those systems, now you've got to upgrade all the systems they're talking to. It's a, it's a huge project, and it costs the taxpayers billions of dollars to do that. Right. And, and, and what do you, in your opinion, uh, what is the number one hacking threat to the American government? Is it Russia? Is it China? Or is it, or is it just rogue hacker groups? I mean, who's the main threat here? 
in my opinion, it's Russia and China. Hmm. Um, China has been hacking us for years. They have, you know, our whole country mapped out, intellectual property, critical infrastructure, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that they've got this, they've, you know, it's, it's, there's proof that this information has been held by them for years. So, you know, if we were to go to war with them, they're not going to be shooting missiles. They're going to hit the green light and effectively, you know, do a cyber attack on us. And now what? Our critical infrastructure goes down, right. no power, no water, no wastewater management. That right there would just completely cripple our country. And this is where the government needs to focus on our critical infrastructure and securing that first before anything else in the commercial industry. Because you take down that, the whole country's down. Is it true that the White House was hacked back in April? Do you know much about that, or can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, there's lot, not a lot of detailed information on it because uh, the information doesn't want to be – they don't want to release it. But you know, there's a lot of sources that supposedly have some facts surrounding that that it actually did occur. And based on the responses from the government, you know, I'm, I'm sure that – you know, it was done. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did admit there was some classified information there, you know, not so much top secret information, but we don't know what that classified right. information was or is. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's a uh, I feel like it's a much, much bigger problem than the American public understands right now. And the only reason we're really talking about it is because, quite frankly, Democrats are really upset and they need some simple explanation to explain why why their candidate didn't win the election. But that's really what's brought that to the forefront. I, I just think the American public, if we, if we were aware of even a, one one hundredth of how vulnerable the federal government was and by extension, all of us, I feel like our elected officials would be taking more action. Right. Well, the government has been very slow to move on this. OK. And we, working with the government, are starting to see a shift going on. I mean, we've got numerous new agencies that have been born, that have been created in order to expedite the adoption of innovative technologies. We've seen two spawn up in the Silicon Valley that were you know, sponsored by the government. These guys are ready to move on this. The next thing that needs to be done as far as expediting the process of adopting innovative technologies is there's got to be some enforcement. And that's the problem we have with, you know, like our power grid. It's, you know, there's guidelines and policies and procedures and regulatory things that need that have to take place and people should be following. But there's no one there to enforce it. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that the policymakers start actually enforcing some of these guidelines that they should be following. And, and that needs to happen immediately for, for critical infrastructure. Well, Chuck, I, I appreciate we, we've got to uh, cut our segment short today because I've got a big show ahead of us. But I really appreciate uh, Chuck Sedlicek. I'm sorry if I, I butchered your last name again, but, but Chuck Sedlicek with AmericanTechIT.com. Uh, your, your, your product, Virtuous, uh, we're going to have to have you back on to tell us more about that another time, but I appreciate you doing the public service, not just you know working to keep us secure, but of course coming on the air today and, and, and informing the public about what's going on. So thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. You take care. Thanks, Chuck. All right. Uh, that was great. Boy, I love it when a show goes to all, all the plan. Producer Helene.
and our tech guys, I, I still don't know how we're able to actually bring a caller in from our cell phone and like get it all looped Me in. Me neither. It's serious. <laughs> it works. No, it it, works. If it works, it works, right? Um, wow. Um, that was a, a little bit of a scary segment. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting to me that the White House was, uh, that it seems like the White House was hacked in April and we didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, well, I understand the White House has a vested interest in not saying that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like you like polls when they agree with you, but you dismiss them when they don't agree with you. You want you 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 like hacking that it's the preeminent problem. Russia's the issue uh, when now it explains how Trump got elected. But when Trump isn't the topic of discussion, you don't want to say that we might be vulnerable. You know, it's. It's just selective handling of information. Uh, but that was a good... Oh, he's on right the line. Now. Oh, boy. Back-to-back interviews. I've got a big story coming up after John about fake news. But our next guest is John Phillips. He's a longtime friend of mine in the shows. Uh, he's a, a, a great talk radio host out of KBC 790. Uh, morning drive... Or afternoon drive talker. But also, what we're having him on to talk about today is... I'm sure you've seen him. If, you, if you're watching CNN, there were few, very few during the election cycle, pro-Trump voices, and it wasn't easy to be pro-Trump. And I want to talk to John about what that was like and what's going on now with the coverage. Uh, can we bring John Phillips in? Hello. Hey, John. Welcome, uh, welcome to the Thomas Guide. Thanks for having me. That's uh, great. You know, usually for audience, usually I, on your show, this is nice, I'm I'm behind the driver's seat, so welcome aboard. It's the role reversal. Yeah, yeah, right it is. shotgun. <laughs> hey, John. So uh, we we opened up the show talking about how um, Fox News is just dominating the ratings game lately. I mean, double to not, tri- if not triple, uh, that of MSNBC and CNN, and all the other networks, and they're even beating those networks in the key demo. And what I was wondering, and I want to get your take on it, is the. Uh, you know, whether it's on The View or Good Morning America, you know, the talking heads are seem apoplectic and singularly focused that Trump is crazy, that he didn't legitimately win this election. And they're rehashing that in different sh- shapes and sounds. Do you think there's that is perhaps why their ratings are sinking or what do you think is to blame here? I think it's a couple of different things. Um, First and foremost, I think that Democrats are so suicidal over the results of this election that they're just all watching Nick at night or they're watching TV (laughs) land. Yeah. They've just opted out of news altogether. So when you take the Democrats out of the mix, you're just left with Republicans and Fox is going to be the preferred network among Republicans. And I just got back from a vacation, and it was actually a perfect vacation to take right after the election because I went on a cruise to the Caribbean. I wanted to get away from politics. I wanted to get away from news. I wanted to go to a place where my cell phone didn't work, and I had no Wi-Fi and uh, didn't have cable news in front of my face 24-7. And so I thought, I know, I'll go on a ship in the middle of the ocean, and I can just sit on the beach and drink pina coladas. But everyone wanted to talk about the election, and it was the perfect focus group because everyone on the ship was from West Virginia or Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan, and they couldn't wait to come spill their guts to me. And um, and it's pretty much exactly what you thought, uh, only on steroids, where uh, liberal whites think that the country is essentially racist, and that's why they voted the way they did. 
and they were uh, they harbored lots of ill will towards minorities for not turning out in the 2008 numbers. Um, blue collar white Democrats are furious that the Democratic Party is singularly obsessed with race. And they hate being called bigots because they want the borders to cure. They want their factories to remain. They want their industries to stay. Um, and then Republicans, this was my favorite part. Um, you met some Republicans that like Trump more than others. All of them voted for him. I did not find one Never Trump Republican. Every Never Trump Republican, I'm convinced, has has a TV contract or a column. <laughs> yeah. Or from California where it didn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that's that. Yeah, that yeah, that's true. So, so I, I hear what you're saying. Um, so it's it's interesting. Do you think the the coverage uh and, and Trump's relationship with the media. Right now, it seems like you got two big stories that most of the networks are covering. You know, one is the Russian hack and kind of the whether or not he legitimately won or whatnot. Uh, and, and, and the other is Trump's refusal to hold press conferences and his strange new relationship with the media. Do you think that's going to be the story? It seems like it's like this uh, self-obsessed like love affair with themselves. Like, how are they going to treat us? But what about us? But he can't do that. I mean, you think how, how long do they keep going with that? Well, the president's relationship with the media always is evolving. Um, you go back to the State of the Union address. It didn't used to be an address before both houses of Congress. It was something the president would just type out and take to the Speaker of the House or the, the president pro tem the Senate and um, distribute it that way. The uh, fireside chat that um, FDR gave uh, went away after FDR left the White House, and they were revived by Ronald Reagan in 1982 in the form of the uh, weekly radio address. So sometimes when, when you have these elements, they come and they go. And one of the things that we've gotten used to is we've gotten used to a very aggressive press corps with Trump. Where, I mean, essentially, it, it's most of what you're seeing is advocacy journalism, where they're out to get him or uh, in, in, in much smaller numbers, they're out to promote him. But there are very few people left playing it straight. And so because the media has been so adversarial, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried to take the relationship the president has with the media and evolve it to the next level, which in my mind would be him communicating directly with the public, whether it be through individual interviews with, with um, people he thinks are fair or friendly or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And he just cuts them out altogether. Now their heads will explode. Yeah. I mean, they'll go nuts. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's right. So I think that story is going to keep going. And, you know, Trump is right. I think I want to get your take on it is he's rewriting the rules. And I think he's basically saying, Enough of people interpreting what I what I meant or what a spokesman meant. They're going to hear it directly from me and probably in 120 characters. Right. But but it's it's taking the message unvarnished directly to the people and then only allowing the media to report directly what Trump said and then sitting down with outlets. Not necessarily. Look, I don't think you should just sit down with Sean Hannity, but sitting down with outlets that are going to allow him to deliver the message in a way that he needs to deliver it because he knows for a fact that the mainstream media is not going to want to deliver his message. Right. Yeah, but but this is where the media lost their leverage. With with the media, you have control of politicians, government agencies with the carrot and the stick. If if they do what you want, you give them the carrot. If they don't do what you want, you give them the stick. 
Well, with Trump, it hasn't been that way. With Trump, it's been the dominatrix in the dungeon where they've just beaten him mercilessly for months. So if he doesn't give them what they want, what else can they do to him? They none of the newspapers endorsed him. Right. <laughs> you know, many of the of the television networks just attack him every opportunity. Um, in in some cases. Um, publications that haven't endorsed the president, I think Atlantic has only endorsed three times in the history of the magazine. And, and this was one of them where they came out and endorsed Hillary. So, so what else can they do to him? How can they punish him? Yeah, no, they, they can't. And, uh, um, well, I think this ongoing storyline and for our listeners and viewers, um, we're talking to John Phillips, uh, a, a pro Trump, uh, talking head on CNN, uh, you know, I can typically we find you on Don Lemon show one or two nights a week. Um, I just love watching, you know, John, you're the guy who I feel like every time you go on, they're trying to put you in a corner and thump you, you know, you know, a couple times to the kidneys and one time to the face. Um, is it worse uh, now or better now that the election's over? Oh, I hit back, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter to you. It's just work as usual. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I assume every time I go on, there's going to be someone there trying to kill me. Yeah. But, you know, look, that's, that's, that's the gig for good TV. When yeah. you have both points of view that are out there and you go at it, um, you know, that, that draws an audience. Sure. Uh, I think it's, by the way, we're going to see four more years of that type of programming on most of the networks because it, it, we live in a, in a country polarized 50 50 and uh, people uh, have taken sides. And if suddenly the news channels that have cultivated an audience that, that like the chat shows and like the, the political debates, if they suddenly go back to news blocks, they're going to lose their entire audience. Right. And, you know, there's a temperature in the room and Trump has, has brought in a certain temperature that's higher than what we're used to. And so, therefore, I think the public is now uh, okay with a, a, the temperature rising on their newscast. So if you come back with a bland news block, people will just tune out. Their eyes will glaze over. Right, right. Hey, John Phillips, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Next time, uh, perhaps in the new year, we'll get you in, uh, in our new studio. Fantastic. All right, thanks, Congratulations John. on the show. Thank you very much. See you, John. All right, that was John Phillips. Uh, good guy. Uh, he was being awfully kind uh, to his employer at CNN, but it really is. Uh, you got to watch. If you haven't seen him, watch him on Don Lemon. Uh, <laughs> it's usually a 3 or 401 on, on, on John Dogpile. Um, one big story I wanted to get to quickly uh, before we get to some lighter news is the whole idea of fake news. Uh, there was major news that broke today that's real, not fake. Facebook announced the four major steps that it's taking to crack down on fake news. And I want to go through what they are and what the implications are. Uh, number one, um, Facebook is saying it's now easier to report fake news. They're, they're giving users an option to flag a post that they believe that a user, any user, not a staff member of Facebook, any user that they believe needs scrutiny. You'll be able to click the top right corner of a post to report it as a hoax and it'll be flagged as a hoax. Now, before this, the only um, recourse that a Facebook friend of yours could have if they didn't like something you post was either pressing the little angry button, writing about it, or unfriending you. Now they can literally delegitimize your post. 
Fact number two. Fact-checking organizations will be the arbiters of whether a story is real or fake. Facebook is working with outside fact-checking organizations like ABC News, factcheck.org, PolitiFact, and uh, and a few others to cross-reference algorithms with uh, stories that they have fact-checked, and then uh, and then you know start weeding out stories over time. There's only one problem with that. That those things, those sources I just listed have been accused of having liberal biases in the past. Plus, the news cycle moves so quickly, it's not even a 24-hour news cycle. It's an hour news cycle. It's less than that. And these fact-checking organizations can't possibly review enough stories in the world to have legitimate impact. So I just worry uh, how that's going to work. Number three, more scrutiny of sharing practices. Um, right now, and this is unbelievable. Facebook collects a lot of data. We all know that it's going to be paying closer attention now to the content that is consumed by users or read, but not shared. Um, and what they, what they, what they're trying to do is come up with an algorithm that the posts that get shared more is considered more real. A post that isn't shared, but might be read potentially might not be fake, but should be lower in your Facebook feed, in the news feed. And here's the problem with that. It's just like being on a newspaper. If you're below the fold, forget about it. That's the problem with your Facebook news feed is you've got now algorithms that we have no control or I even idea how it works, selecting which stories you will see and which stories you won't. And it has nothing to do with what your friends think is, is like uh, well-read because that's how it used to be. If your friends either liked it, shared it, or read it, it would get to the top of the feed. Now, it's only if a, a Facebook post is shared. And God forbid, one of your friends who disagree with your takes says, uh, checks the option in the upper right-hand corner to flag it for scrutiny, it's immediately become fake. That's what's, not What's stopping everyone from just flagging like everybody well, else? I, well, I think they're going to have a problem with that. Yeah. I really do. This I mean, it's, it's bad. N- number four... Uh, Facebook is trying to cut off the cash flow to fake news websites that make money off of having lots of clicks and views. I guess it would be called clickbait. Um, and so what they're trying to do is prevent those companies from advertising on Facebook and making money. It's a little bit above my, my heads, but, um, they're trying to put together a spammers list. The other interesting thing is one of the more powerful sections of Facebook is their trending section on the usually on the right hand side? It's what's trending in the world, even if your f- friends aren't sharing it. Um, but how do you? I, I'm worried about these algorithms. I'm worried letting the Facebook executives, which were largely and unabashedly pro Obama, uh, pro Obama and pro Hillary and anti Trump in the in, in the election, now deciding being the arbiter of these algorithms that are going to cull out potentially. Uh, anti-liberal news or conservative news. I mean, it's it's just, I think, a very dangerous precedent. Look, I understand it's a problem, but the way I look at it is kind of let the buyer beware. And I think if uh, we have a pretty good bullshit sniffer, uh, you know, usually I always tell my friends, don't ever read one source and believe it to be true. I always, if something is quite shocking, you always have to look at two or three different sources on the internet not just on Facebook, but you have to Google it. You have to go to the LA Times. You have to go to 
just a bunch of different places, and then you can potentially believe it to be true. Uh, this is a big problem. The Thomas Guide is going to continue to monitor this as we go along. All right. John, we actually have some uh, comments and tweets. Oh, yeah. So Jennifer Monroy wants to say she loves your show, but she wants to know what do you think is going to happen on Monday's electoral vote? So what do you think? What's your prediction? She's ref- Oh, thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate you uh, watching and listening. So what, you're, what she's referring to is on the 19th, the electors have to make their official vote. Um, what do I think is going to happen? Nothing. Donald Trump's going to get enough electoral votes. Uh, I think you're going to see maybe one or two defections, uh, but that's about as far as it's going to be. Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. That's it. It's just just much like the recount. It's much to do over nothing. Uh, And I think the people who were pushing this fake conspiracy about what the electors were going to do are going to have egg on their face and look like idiots. Joseph Farley pointed out that Hillary Clinton didn't visit Wisconsin once after getting the nomination. I don't know if that's true. But I'm not if sure. If that, I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if that's true. I do know, Joseph, that she pulled her ad TV advertising reservations eight weeks out because she felt she was safe in Wisconsin. Uh, she made critical mistakes. And I also do know. And I think this is maybe where you were going that. Do you remember before the debates, typical debate? Hillary Clinton would cancel all public appearances and public events, no media interviews, no campaign stops, at least five days before a debate so that she could prep. And the media said, oh, she's so wise. Uh, You know, she's just studying up. She's going to be a policy expert. She's got to study. Regardless of whether or not that was wise in terms of studying for the debate, she gave Donald Trump, I think there were three debates. She gave Donald Trump, to my math, that's 15 days on the trail where Donald Trump was on the trail making five to seven stops a day and Hillary Clinton was not making one stop. Uh, At the end of the day, just like John Phillips and I were talking about, voters want to hear directly from the candidate. And I just don't think anyone can dispute that Donald Trump out-campaigned her from a physical sense. She definitely kicked his butt with more TV ads and probably smarter strategy there until maybe the very end. But from a boots-on-the-ground candidate to the people... Donald Trump outworked her five times. All right, moving along. Um, you know, we, we've been obsessed with the Kardashian curse <laughs> but pretty much since this show's founding. Um, and the latest we talked about, we kind of broke down last week all the men who have been destroyed by the Kardashians. And Kanye West was in rehab, then he was out of rehab. And then, of course, he pops up Where? Out of all places in the world, Trump Tower with Donald Trump. I mean, it's, it's incredible uh, that, and some people are, Kanye went to talk to him. Kanye says it was about racial tensions in America, uh, blacks in Chicago, uh, probably gun violence. That's what he says. And I think there was some element of that. But the most brilliant element of what Donald Trump did was not having the meeting. It was having the photo op in Trump Tower outside the elevator uh, panel uh, in front of all the press with his arm around Kanye West because that drove the media cycle away from Russian hacking, uh, away from the Electoral College for that day. Uh, It was really a brilliant move. Now, the left is accusing Donald Trump of of strictly doing a publicity stunt. I don't know. I mean, look, Donald Trump understands the value of good public relations, but I also think He's known, we know he's known Kanye West for a number of years. Uh, and Kanye West has 
he and uh, uh, Kim went and met several times with Barack Obama. So it's no surprise that this is something you'd want to do with President-elect Trump. Uh, but the saga continues. And remember, the reports last week were that Kim Kardashian wanted a wants to get a divorce from Kanye West. Why was that again? I forget oh, the you reason. Forget, do you? What's the reason yeah. for the divorce? Well, the reason was, Helene. I love it. Because Kim Kardashian walked in on Kanye West masturbating to a picture of himself. Oh, that's right. That's right. I yeah, forgot you forgot that. It's just that. so easy. It just comes oh and goes. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Well, we're at concert venues before uh, I think he was almost booed out of the place that he said, I didn't vote. But if I did vote, I would have voted for Donald Trump. In- interesting. They threw shoes at him at that. They used to throw shoes at George W. Bush. I guess that's an honor. It's, I guess. I <laughs> you guess. Know, I just want to add to that topic that Lamar Odom's uh, downfall is now going to be documented on a reality show. And I also. Want- Why am I not surprised? I'm not either. But, you know, just throwing it out there. But then also, I just want to say that the. There's an obvious bromance between Trump and Kanye. The pictures are so, Trump looks so happy. They look really like there's a bromance there. I, I don't know. I just, I pick a up. Budding a, bromance. I'm picking up on something there. I think so they are might So are you alleging spirit. that uh, Kim Kardashian has turned Kanye West gay? And now he's I'm having alleging, a fling with Donald Trump? Is I'm this alleging is, that Kim Kardashian <laughs> has turned Kanye West conservative. Or no, I don't know. Uh, I'm not look, they can do a lot of things to their men, but flip their political ideologies. I don't know if that's if that's one of them. I just but, don't uh, think you can fake that chemistry. That chemistry in the on the lobby of Trump Tower is pretty real. I just we'll see. What if Kanye writes his new song about Donald Trump or something? I love it. I can't wait. Oh man, I'll buy that album. Uh, all right, another interesting story that popped up today is that you know we we talked last week about uh, pro wrestling and the Linda McMahon, uh, Donald Trump's small business. Uh, cabinet pick and uh and trump's involvement with pro wrestling for for a number of years back in the 80s and 90s trump was really instrumental well now you've got what i think is the and i i predicted this gosh it must have been i think it was on Handel's show uh a couple months ago that because of the donald trump's success you're gonna see a lot of copycat candidates a lot of celebrity candidates a lot of people of kind of that tough guy straight talking mentality and lo and behold, today, pro wrestler Booker T announced that he's running for the, to be the mayor of Houston. Uh, he's a WWE Hall of Famer, and he's throwing trading in the wrestling ring for the political arena. Um, he won the elections in 2019. His name's Booker Huffman, but he's known as Booker T. Um, prior to being a pro wrestler, he did serve 19 months in prison, uh, pleading guilty to armed robbery at a Wendy's restaurant. Oh, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, but remember, he's not the first wrestler to be elected to a high-profile office. Uh, pro mer- uh, former pro wrestler Jesse Ventura, the body Ventura, was the governor of Minnesota in 98. He, he might be the first armed robber to be appointed. Well, I wonder. You know, we have to look into it. If he's a felon, felons can't vote. So I don't know. if I think I, you know, come to think of it, I know I'm pretty sure from a federal office you're banned if you're a felon. I know in L.A. County you're banned. I wonder in Houston, I have to look that up. If in Houston, if you're a felon, can you run? I don't know. But uh, Booker T is running. We're going to have to, you know what, Helene? Let's see if we can get him on as a guest. I would love that. I will work on Okay, that. Booker I'm, T. I'm on it. Great. <laughs> All right. You're not going to believe this. The There is a conspiracy theory running around that the case study and the the the, 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 the 
validation of this theory was done right here where we're filming in downtown Los Angeles at five different Starbucks. And this is the theory that Starbucks purposely misspells your name on the coffee cup because it's part of some guerrilla advertising and marketing campaign. And the way they proved this hypothesis was they went to five different Starbucks around downtown Los Angeles and they said they wanted a black coffee for Molly, okay? Not a hard name. But in five different locations, it was spelled Molly, M-O-L-L-Y, Molly, M-O-L-L-I, Molly, M-O-L-L-E-Y, Maley, M-A-L-I, and the most egregious, Mommy, as you would expect it to be spelled. So the, the theory is the fact that, I mean, all of us know that we joke about it with our friends when they misspell our names and we always have to take a picture and tweet it or gram it or snap it or Facebook it and it's this viral promotion for Starbucks. If this is not an accident and Starbucks instructs its employees to misspell names, brilliant, brilliant. You know, I know a couple of baristas down on the way uh, around the corner, my, my daily go-to Starbucks. I'm going to go ask them. We'll report back next week. All right. This is the video of the week. Do we have the element to run or are we looking at the... Okay. Uh, And we can like show it on... on, Oh my God. This is okay. Okay. If you're watching, uh, if you're watching, you're going to have to watch this video. I'm going to do the quick setup. This is my favorite video of the week. Eh, Maybe of the month. Uh, (laughs) What happened was a kangaroo was getting in a fight with this guy's dog. I mean, potentially hurting this dog. So this guy, well, should we roll the clip first? Yeah, let's roll the clip. (laughs) So the guy, for those of you, (laughs) for those of you who are listening and not watching, This guy runs up to the kangaroo and the dog. The kangaroo's kicking the ass of the dog. The guy runs up. The kangaroo's standing on its back leg. He puts his dukes up and boom! Sucks the kangaroo in the face. The kangaroo looks stunned and looks at him and just runs off. Classic. It's incredible. It's classic. The guy, pretty ballsy move. I mean, that kangaroo, they're known to fight. You've got to see this. If you're not watching, if you're listening, we're going to post it somewhere. You got to check out our social media so you can see this video. It is hilarious. Unbelievable. Yeah, you can visit uh, you can visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Thomas Guide. Um, boy, what a show. We're ending right on time. Um, look, uh, you know, the Thomas Guide show, uh, this is our third episode. We're still getting up and running, working out the kinks, but the production team's working hard to get everything and everything rolling. Um, thanks to our guests today. We had, had a great show. Be sure to subscribe uh, at theteaguide.com or facebook.com slash the Thomas Guide or catch us at, at Thomas Guide Twitter. We'll see you next Thursday at 1. With John Thomas. We hope you've enjoyed the ride. Join us Thursdays at 1 on Facebook Live. Tweet John at the Thomas Guide. Find us on iTunes and subscribe. Or you can go to KFI. Keyword, the Thomas Guide.